Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. We human beings love having an excuse or having the opportunity to blame someone else for our problems or having the freedom to blame our failures on unforeseen circumstances. Unfortunately for us, according to St. Paul, no matter who you are, no matter what you do in life, no matter where you come from, no matter what is happening to you, no matter what others do to you, no matter what you think, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to remain steadfast in your trust of God's teaching. Richard and I discuss 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 to 10. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 129 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Richard, before we start digging into chapter 6 this morning of 2 Corinthians, I thought it was worth taking a moment to talk about the problem of individualism versus the biblical concept of individuality. Now, I'm using the word individuality. It's not a word that occurs in Scripture. But I think it's important for people to discuss this problem because very often religion, human religion, gravitates toward total freedom in the flesh, which Paul is critiquing, or it gravitates toward a tribal hive mind, which Paul is critiquing. We've seen this as liberal and conservative expressions of religion. We see it In our political ideology, you have visions of socialism and communism versus capitalism. And we tend to reduce everything to these extreme categories. And we never consider that there are a whole array of possibilities that map out a complexity that defies ideology. Scripture, specifically Paul, the Paulian school, is co-opting something good about ancient Near Eastern culture in general, which is the nomadic tribal culture of the Near East. Not everything was good about that culture, but what was good was that everyone took care of each other. Everyone was part of a group. That group could evade the tyranny of imperialism. And even the Romans in their roots, in their own mythology, in terms of the formation of Roman society, had at their heart this tribal mentality. People were dedicated to the Roman clan, to Roman society. They were dedicated to the constitution of the Republic. They didn't think in terms of their individual needs. They thought in terms of the group. But their affluence, their exposure to Greek philosophy, their natural human tendencies led to a devolution of their dedication to each other and to the common good into this mode of being where everybody wanted to live out their own life for their own purposes selfishly. And this is just as destructive as a religious cult 
trying to control everybody and to impose a way of living on everyone. Scripture is doing neither. It's not saying you can do what you want, and it's not imposing anything. Scripture is proposing that no matter who you are or where you live, if you remember how to live not for yourself, but for the sake of the common good, for the sake of your neighbor, you can still have a life and still express individuality, but correctly as part of a whole. You can become useful and at the same time not be controlled by anyone. I think the metaphor that Paul uses of the body is very good, where you have hands and you have feet and you have different parts of the body, but none of those parts of the body can function without the other parts of the body. Now, if you say that everyone is supposed to be a hand, the kind of cultish mentality you're speaking of, the body's not going to work. By the same token, if you say, oh, I'm a hand and I have no need of the body, that's also not going to work. Paul is trying to balance these two ideas together. People are different. We can't erase the differences among people, and Paul doesn't try to erase those differences among people, but he's saying all those differences are subservient to the whole, to the body. This is why he doesn't want to make a big deal out of circumcision, because some are circumcised, some are not. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Everyone needs to serve the body. That's the important part. Once you stop serving the body, then you've gone astray. Paul explicitly says repeatedly in 1 Corinthians, it does not matter what you are or who you are. What matters is that you behave according to the teaching. Should you accept this instruction? Whatever you are is immaterial. The main priority is the kingdom of God. Choice is something scripture allows. But whatever you choose, you still have to love your neighbor. That dovetails nicely into today's chapter because you were saying, Richard, that Paul is talking about consistency in the beginning of chapter 6. Whatever is happening, whatever is going on around you, your only obligation under scripture, should you choose to accept it, is to act consistently according to scripture no matter what is happening. Your adherence to scripture is the first and foremost thing, not something else that's going around. Because if something else is going on around you, which conditions whether or how you follow the gospel, then that is dictating your actions, not the gospel. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In vain means in an empty way, meaning you accept the grace of God and then what you return is empty. When we accept the grace of God correctly, we act upon it and we show that we've accepted the grace of God through our actions. God's grace towards you, for example, is not that you are free to pursue your love of languages. You are free to choose to pursue your love of languages, but it has to be in service of the gospel. If it's not in service of the gospel, as someone like you who's been trained to teach the gospel, then you are receiving the grace in vain. The freedom that God affords you and the abilities he's given you, even the time you had to study languages, is a gift that was given to you for God's purpose not for yours. It's also like the metaphor of the man who is forgiven his debt by his master, who then when he goes to his servant who owed him money, he shakes him down. He received the grace of his master, the forgiveness of the debt from his master, in vain because then he didn't act according to that grace. And as a result, he shook down his own servant. So accepting the grace is like you're saying, Father, I receive this grace not so I can bask in the warmth of its glory, 
but so then I can act in a particular way, that I can take the gifts, the grace that have been given to me in a way that show that I am grateful to the one who gave me this grace. At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. He's appealing to the prophet Isaiah. He is reminding you that when you were in trouble, I heard your prayer. And when it was appropriate according to my will on that day, I helped you on the day of my victory, which is what salvation means. And I'm going to assume that our readers are not well versed in Isaiah. This section of Isaiah that Paul is appealing to is when the people are in Babylonian captivity and the Lord is announcing the time of freedom from captivity. Now, always the question is, why does God allow us to be in captivity? Why does God allow us to suffer and whatever? And he says, I listened to you at the correct time. When it was the day of salvation, I helped you. Now, these times and days are set by God so that only God knows because all of the things that we perceive as evil, like you mentioned in your sermon, Father, the things that we perceive as evil are for our education and ultimately for our salvation so that we can understand better with our minds how to follow Torah. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Meaning, the word is being preached to you. You have received the grace. There is no better time to heed the call of Scripture. Your slavery to this instruction is your freedom. You can't do whatever you want for your own sake. You can't claim that you are a polyglot because you worked so hard and other people should learn from you and work as hard as you. That can't be the operating narrative, even though we know people should work hard. It's just like the law in Scripture. The operating narrative is you were afforded the grace. And what are you going to do about it? When are you going to get off your rear end and start acting? Now is the time. But again, it's not you who's acting. You're just heeding the instruction. It's the instruction that's acting in you, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. If someone accepts the gospel, they are in the community, they are under the judgment. You can admonish a woman in a Pauline church to wear a head covering or to not wear a head covering, but you have no right to say anything to Roman women who are not baptized. You have received the grace. You can't then put up an obstacle saying, as soon as you get over this obstacle, you can receive the grace. You've received the grace, you've received Torah, and you now have the opportunity, as we were discussing in 1 Corinthians, to follow the law of love. The grace was already given to you. All this other stuff that we would add on would only disgrace our ministry because we ourselves would act as if there's no grace yet. You chose this. The Roman woman you want to criticize did not choose it. So you're living in a Roman city, but you're a member of God's tribe which means you have to play by the rules of God's tribe, which include preventing you from imposing anything on anyone else, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. You are part of this tribe, you are committed to it, and there's no deviation. Even though we have to endure such difficult hardships and calamities, we are not allowed to waver. When a teacher hands out a homework assignment and the student 
doesn't turn in the homework assignment, you say, why don't you get the homework assignment? Oh, it was really hard. I don't care if it's hard or not. You have to turn in the assignment. When I give you this assignment, you just have to do it. It's not dependent on how hard you think it is. In beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. All these things that would distract us from following God's law, from following Torah, because it's too hard, because it gets too difficult. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. And here, interestingly, these contrast with the last ones. These are all good things. Purity, knowledge, forbearance, kindness, all these things. But these also can't distract us because we saw in 1 Corinthians what happens when you get too much knowledge. When you start getting too much forbearance, it's like the joke, you know, what's my biggest fault? Oh, I think my biggest fault is being too humble. Even these good actions, these good mindsets can get in the way of following the gospel because they can make us puffed up. Look how virtuous I am. Look how good I am. Look how smart I am. Look how hard I've worked. Then you go and you set yourself above and therefore apart from everyone else. You are now no longer the hand. You think you're the head now. No, 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 no. You're still the hand. So even once we start thinking we're on the right track, we have to be careful. So just as if we are confronted with someone who imposes evil upon us, we also have to be careful when someone imposes good on us. Consistency is the word. No matter what is happening, whether one is criticizing us or praising us, whether one is patting us on the back or smacking us in the face, we always have to follow God's law as the law before anything else. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. When we are speaking, when we are acting, when we are fighting for the sake of the gospel, we are still servants of God who have received grace. You're not allowed to go out and carry a banner and a sword and go and defeat the armies of the people who do not profess your religion. You are still a servant of God who has received grace. It is not yours then to impose violence on another for the sake of the grace that you received. It doesn't make sense. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report. And here's the key. With scripture, sometimes you will be spoken highly of and oftentimes you will be criticized. People will regard you as being truthful or regard you as being honest depending on their emotional response to the gospel. But you still have to remain consistent and steadfast in preaching the gospel. Like we saw in 1 Corinthians, Paul won't even judge himself, let alone the Corinthians. Regarded as deceivers yet true. Again, when you speak the word of truth, because it comes into so much contradiction and conflict with the human way of looking at the world, people will dismiss you either as a lunatic or as a liar. People who cling to an ideological or a theological notion of truth. Truth for scripture is your neighbor's thirst. It's not a philosophical concept. So when you undermine someone's philosophical concept with the commandment to give water to the one who thirsts, if it exposes their hypocrisy or it exposes the weakness of their framework, they will choose to call you the deceiver, and you will appear to be the deceiver. Let's say you give money to the beggar on the side of the street, and the one person says, good job helping out those who are weak. 
and another person says, idiot, what are you giving them money for a drink? And then the next time you don't give money and the both of them say, ah, he's a hypocrite. Or they say, finally, he came over to my point of view. You have your reasons for giving the first time and not giving the next time. Or when you look at Paul, who is kind in one instance and mean in the other instance, you don't say Paul is inconsistent. Paul is consistent with something that you may or may not be able to see. And this is the point. So whether you are getting honor or dishonor, stay true to what you believe is the case. And when I say, I don't want anyone to think... True to what you believe. I'm not talking about... This the, is not the Walt Disney program. It's not the. It's not Disney. When I say what you believe, I'm using it in the scriptural sense. What you trust in, stay true to what you trust. And if you are following this letter, and if you want to call yourself a servant of Jesus Christ, then you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. This is what your faith is. This is what a man is, or a woman. This is what a true adult is. A true adult is someone who can be relied upon, who is consistent. We all know that there's always at least one child, when you go to pick up your kids from school or from the playground or from an activity, there's always at least one child whose parents are late or don't show up. Those are parents who are not being consistent. They are not being faithful. They are not being steadfast. They are not remaining true to their commitment to parent, their decision to parent. Paul is saying here, you have to remain true to your commitment, to your decision. You had a choice and you accepted the Lord's grace in order to become part of his household, his tribe. You can't now flip-flop. You can't leave the kids at the playground. You need to be there so your kids have a ride home. That is what he is saying, and it's a very serious matter. As unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death. We talked last week about the fact that Jesus was crucified. Jesus endured the punishment, and you're sitting here alive. You cannot tell me, Father Mark, I'm carrying my cross, because after you maybe get through 20% of this podcast, you're going to go reheat your coffee or go browse the internet. So don't tell me you're carrying your cross. You're not carrying a cross unless tomorrow you die. If that's not the case, then you're not Jesus. You haven't paid the price, but you have the benefit of being able to live now as though you have gained the wisdom of paying the price. And that's what Paul is talking about. Even Paul doesn't judge himself. Why? Because he knows that there's only one judge. And there's an irony here as unknown to human beings and yet well known by God as dying according to the world. Behold, we live according to God and according to the law that we follow and we get punished but we're not killed because God is the one who gives us life. God is the one who knows us, who gives us life, and who preserves us. And that's the thing that you always have to be consistent with. No matter what is happening in your life, the one who gives life gave you grace and gave you life. Therefore, you live according to that, and then you don't have to worry about the things going on around you. You always focus on that grace that you have already received. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. This is about demonstrating in the way that you follow the commandment that you are rich in the kingdom, that you are rejoicing in the kingdom, that you 
possess all things in the kingdom. And when you have all of these blessings in the kingdom, in human terms, it looks like poverty. It looks like sorrow. It looks like you have nothing. But the truth of the matter is, in Pauline terms, everyone has nothing because everything is passing away. So what it really shows when you can rejoice in this way It shows that you have the correct priority and you understand that everything is passing away. And so instead of being enslaved to the things that are passing away, you live freely giving thanks for the grace of the wisdom and the knowledge afforded you by the execution of Jesus. It's having trust in the providence of God. When you lose your job, are you grateful? When your child does not get into college, are you grateful? When your child does not get financial aid, when your car conks out, are you grateful for the providence of God and what this gives to you in your life, or are you going to complain about it? You have no control over fate. Things just happen, and the only correct response is to give thanks because you're still here. Thank God for his grace whatever the circumstances. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. And I say that every episode, but you know and I know that I'm not thanking you. Thank God. Thank God. Have a good week. You too. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.